You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Uh, have you not decorated your new house yet, or did your wife put you in solitary confinement? A little bit of both. A little bit you of both. You look like you're in a dungeon. At least there's a, a small air conditioner back there. That's that's awfully kind of her. She is very nice to me. There's no doubt about it. Actually, what would be what would be a worse torture though? A worse punishment? Uh, being locked in solitary in your house, or being locked just with all your kids in your house? Oof. I mean, I love my kids, but we, can I get a time frame? Can I get like a time frame on this? I mean, you you do the crime, you got to do the time. It does. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. The, sever, the severity of the infraction gives you. More oh man! Time. I mean, I think the minimum. If if you're in solitary, let's say in prison, uh, you know, they don't just put you in for like two hours. You know, it's a couple of days. You're you're in there for at least a couple of days. Wow, that that would be intense. Yes. Um, I'd say you know, that'd be worse. I'd say I'd say a couple of days in a room by myself with my kids would be worse. And and uh, I don't know. I mean, they're going to have to provide an ample supply of goldfish crackers and juice boxes, and some 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 something to entertain, uh, or else that I'm just going to tear my hair out. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I, I listen. I'm with you. That it's actually a couple. I don't know for like two years ago now. Um, yeah, it was probably not this past summer because of all the crazy COVID stuff and we were still in some sort of lockdown. But the summer before, as we were going back into like normal school, I posted a picture that somebody had put, put around and they changed one of our prayers to like sound like all the things that you, you know, were excited about. Like, you know, thank goodness the children are going back to school and all this other stuff. And I posted it and this woman wrote back like this really obnoxious, like, I enjoy being with my children. <laughs> and I was like, and I wrote to her and I was like, look, I said, you know, I, I enjoy being with my children too. It's like, but I have a, a little bit of a life and a job and I'm trying to balance all these things. And she's like, I'm the CEO of a business or whatever it was. I was like, yeah, right. The business in your own house, but whatever. And I was like, so I said to her, I said, listen, you know, the end of the conversation was more like, clearly you're just a better parent than I am. That's, that's what's happening right now. That's all she wanted to hear. You're like, yep. Just tell me what to tell you. That's what you should have said. Just, <laughs> just, just, can you, can we cut right to the chase? What do you want me to say? <laughs> How much of an ego boost? I mean, it's true though. I, I think everybody, like, I think there's just some people who, like you said, there's the caveat always. I love my children to death. I do anything for them. You know, right now we're going through this massive overhaul of our house just to make sure our kids are healthy. I, you you know, do anything. However, we need breaks and everybody needs that time, that space. It's not like you, you dislike them because you, you know, you need your time or space or, you know, freedom or, you know, I think for, you know, some people are like, Oh, I can't go away. I can't sleep somewhere else uh, for a night. And you're like, are are you kidding? I would, I would love it. I come back a better father. Uh, I come back a better husband. I I feel bad for those people who who didn't, you know, the couples themselves who didn't survive COVID. You know what I mean? I feel like survive it. Like they're not together anymore. Like I feel like I feel like there, you know, like there, I'm sure there are people out there who are like, oh, it just exposed a weakness within their relationship. I was like, no, every relationship needs breaks. Children 
spouses, everything needs a break. Like you need time to yourself and you need time with the person. And I just feel bad. I feel like they just got a raw deal. Like they probably would have been, if COVID never happened, still together in a happy couple because they had their normal, you know, I see in the morning, we see each other at night, we go on our vacations. And then we had our day to like sort of do our thing. You know what I mean? But they got the raw end of the deal and they had to be with everybody all day long. Every, I don't I feel bad for them. It's not good. Yeah. I mean, I think some people are, are you know, just, it, they don't want to say it. Uh, they feel like it sounds bad that they need space or a break, but really it's, you know, it helps. It's that pressure release of that pressure that you don't know exists, right? Anger is one thing if you know you've got some issues with somebody else, but there's stuff that comes up that you just kind of brush off and you don't know it's eating at you and you don't need to because you get those built-in, you know, trips to work, grocery store, that kind of stuff. But you're right. I mean, but even when like you have like a little disagreement, you have that time to think, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just need some time to process what's going on and you come back better and more able to talk about what you need. You know what I mean? And you just never got that if you were, you know, what'd you do? Go in your bedroom and close the door. Like that doesn't do it. Now, are you and your spouse ones who say never go to bed angry or do you some, uh, do you sometimes go to bed angry just because you want to stay angry? We, uh, we would probably say never go to bed angry, but we often do. I probably, probably that's probably more what it is. It's like, never go to bed angry. Never, no, angry. You never go to bed angry. I'm not angry. You're angry. <laughs> it's, uh, but look, I just, I, it's amazing what time will do if you let yourself sit on stuff. I mean, that's one of the biggest gifts for me is just like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm angry. There's this frustration and you don't want to let it sit, you know, overnight. But sometimes in the morning you wake up and you're like, that was just bullshit. Like, I don't even know why I was doing that. Know, what, what was, was that about? Hormonal, dis- you know, disturbance going to happen and it had nothing to do with you. Let's get over this. And you forget about it. You know, as long as it's, as long as it's not eating at you the next morning, you either right. wake up and you have clarity and you apologize and move on or you forget about it and don't care. Um, right. I mean, you can't, you can't like, I don't know how long you can go for like a serious issue and keep brushing it under the rug. And like, you know what I mean? Like that's probably where that comes from. You can't just forget those things. But like the one where you were like, you finished the popcorn or whatever it was, you know, that, that could probably not need to be worked out before bedtime. I feel like that's not yeah. the biggest deal. This is going to slowly segue to what we want to talk about. Today, <laughs> if um, you're waiting, if you're waiting. so I've been reading a lot about the power of the sub subconscious mind. And, um, it, you know, it's been a, a, I read the, read a book about a year ago and then just digging deeper. But um, it's been a new practice of mine to, for my sermons, uh, I've always been one to read, uh, you know, pick a topic and read a gospel about a month in advance before I'm going to preach on something. Anytime? What? Anytime you're going to preach on something? Like, we're talking about, that's amazing. That's real planning. Like well, I can't I be ready much. to speak for like five minutes before sometimes. And I'm just looking through it going, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. got it. But, I, but, but so listen, this is, I mean, this is the beautiful thing. I just read it. I mean, it takes me less than five minutes to read any, any gospel or, or look at any topic. And I don't do a, a lot of work, um, but I just read the gospel. And if I have a, an idea or something that interests me or a, a key question, I just jot that down. And then I put it out of my brain for at least a week, sometimes two weeks and sometimes three till it's like the week before. But let me tell you the amount of times that I've come back to it or in that time span, something's popped up that's contributed to that idea or to that gospel, or I had a life experience that was 
relevant that I was like, oh, I got to bring that up in the sermon. It, it, it just adds this, this color, you know, to, to yeah. the sermon. Like my subconscious mind is like working on this. It's stewing on this. Cause it's like, okay, you've got this deadline. You've got this thing, you know, we call it God and God's spirit is inspiring me. It's just the power of the subconscious. And that, if that's how the spirit works, great. But man, it, it's just powerful. And I think the same thing is true. Like we were talking about with arguments, like your subconscious mind is figuring out, dude, you had way too, or not enough sugar yesterday, way mm-hmm. too many carbs. You know, you, you worked too hard. Uh, you need to wake up in the morning and just move on with this rather than, you know, letting, For sure. your, letting your conscious ego you know, control, drive the car, you let the subconscious take over for a bit. And it's like, I got this shit because I don't care what we ate. I don't care how long we worked. I don't care what the temperature is. <laughs> you know, it just kind of does it. And it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. So the right, other wait, I, part, I, go I, ahead. Oh, okay. I just, I just have one other question about the, the process here. Do you, is this a regular schedule learning that you do? And then like you're learning every day, you're reading the gospels every day. And then it works out that it's three weeks in advance and you know, it's not something you have like a real pressure deadline on, or you say, I've got a, I've got a sermon coming up in three weeks. I better sit down and read the gospels and see what comes to me. Or how does that work? I, I'm just, I'm, yeah. I want a little more clarity. You want the detail, you want the practical. No, um, just because it's so different from the practice that I feel like most Jews would have. Be- well, not, not necessarily, but we're always in a time crunch because everything's coming that Shabbat, right? Like the, the, the section of the Torah that we're reading is coming. You know what I mean? Oh, so, there's always a time crunch. Yeah. So um, we have kind of assigned scriptures every Sunday and we can, we can do what we want with those. And we break away for, for a series sometimes. Like if I want to do six weeks about hope or honestly, who assigns it, who assigns it? This is assigned um, by the grand Poobah. Oh, nice. I love the grand Poobah. Oh yeah. Great hat. Big and pun. We're talking about big um, pun. It's called the, it's called the revised common lectionary. A lot of Protestant church uh, religions um, decades ago, centuries ago, put together kind of this, this way to absorb, uh, I think it's somewhere between 80 and 90% of the Bible within a three-year span. So it's a, it's a old, first lessons, Old Testament, there's a Psalm, and then there's a New Testament reading, and then a gospel. So there's four readings assigned every Sunday for a three-year rotating period. So there's year A, B, and C, and then it rotates back to A. So in three years, you hear the majority of the Bible. It excludes all the like pornographic and inappropriate stuff and the weird, you know, lists of genealogies. It kind I of missed that part. Where's the pornographic part? Because I don't know. Because when we're done, I just you want to know where. The, you, you haven't read Leviticus. Oh, you're gonna just you're gonna label that as pornographic. Oh, I see what you're saying. The Look, like, you know, don't lay with your mother, don't lay with your sister. I think that okay, I would have called that a little bit more a you know, stronger it's word about than like masturbating and how you have to clean up after yourself and what what cleanliness there is. You know, I'll I'll just quote, <laughs> I'll quote Ted Lasso. I'm here. Sorry, did you read that as how you have to clean up after yourself? I wasn't reading it as how you have to clean up exactly. after yourself. Exactly that we have a very different skewed take on this. Okay, go ahead, keep continue on. Uh, you know, Ted Lasso said in uh in in the series, uh, he said um, offsides is a lot like pornography. I can't explain it, but I know when I see it, and that is pornography. But you no, know, and the the time that you stumble on Leviticus is in confirmation every time when you're like 13 to 15 years old, and your pastor you're doing all these like Bible studies, and so your pastor there's inevitably every confirmation within the two year training, 
right. the pastor will say to the, the class of 13 to 14 year old boys and girls, go to the back of the Bible in the concordance or table of contents and just pick a topic you'd like to look up and read every scripture about that topic. So you're hoping they're going to look up um, love, strength and love <laughs> yeah. or yeah. temptation. Well, they look up the love, but it might be like the word self might be in front of it. Is that what you're no, saying? <laughs> no, I mean, masturbation's in there. And you know, every 14 year old in there. Like, oh my gosh, I hope there's it's... pictures. <laughs> I would, um, I'm just to digress for a millisecond. We had an English class when I was in, I think, 10th grade or ninth grade. And the, and the teacher was like, we're going to watch Romeo and Juliet. Now I want everyone to be on their best behavior because there's some nudity here. And all the guys were like, yes. And then like, it comes and what is it? It's his friggin' big old tuchus standing, staring right at you on the screen. We're like, that was it. That's the, that's the naked stuff. Like we're very upset. <laughs> Sleeping beauty has more na- nudity than this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Where go on. We? So, so you were saying oh, everyone details. jumps to so masturbation. A, yeah. There's a, no, back to, you asked about my process. So every, it's all assigned. And so, uh, and if it's not, if we break out, I try and plan sermon series like four to five months in advance. So I, I'll plan Got six it. weeks on. Um, strength or through the book of Job or something like that. But the other stuff that you're assigned, you're also that much ahead. Is that what you're saying? You're also six weeks ahead of what's coming. Now it's June, what, second. So let's, so I'm just going to read this week. I'm going to read what I need to preach on June 27th. That's impressive. And I'm just going to read it. It's not impressive. It's just, I let my mind do the work and then I may not, so I may not do the work on reading other commentaries, reading other um, biblical versions, um, researching ideas or um, finding quotes or finding stories from my life. I may not do that until the week before, but if I read it right now and I go, Oh, that's super interesting that, um, you know, Isaiah wasn't always this hero. I wonder what, you know, what other areas in life, um, people have changed. People have been changed by God. Boom. I close it, take it out of my mind. Don't look at that scripture verse again until I'm, I'm ready to, you know, have a structured hour or two to focus on. Let's do the work. Let's create the, I do a data dump where everything goes onto a paper. And then I find the, uh, I create an outline of the pieces and they all dump in. So that's the work. But what I'm saying is subconsciously I've done so much more um, I've done so much more in that three weeks than I do when I sit down and stare at a blank screen, like, okay, what ideas do I have about Isaiah being a, you know, being changed? It's, I, I think it's just, it's, it's powerful. And it's amazing that your brain has this piece of it that you're 100%. not in control of. When you sit down to do the work, it's the week of, right? That's when you sit down to do the two hour block of work that you're going to write the actual sermon. It's the uh, week of you read it 50% like 50% of the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. All right. So I'm just, I'm just getting the structure of how this works for you. That's listen, that alone, I think most people don't have that much of a, you know, outlined uh, way of life. And I think that's great. Number one, number two, let me just get this straight as well. The three year cycle is for the entire Bible, old and new, correct? Correct. Ah, okay, good. That's helpful. Cause we're doing old Testament uh, every year, yeah. right? We do the whole Old Testament every year. But I was impressed because there's a um, the more liberal movements, um, the conservative movement, which is sort of the middle road of the two, does a three year three year triennial cycle where, but they're reading 
over three years, they read the entirety of just the Torah, just the Old Testament. Yeah, so I thought you I was guys really, are, yeah. are lazy, so you just do half of what we're. Hey, doing. don't talk. You can talk about the conservative movement any way you like, but I'm <laughs> I'm not part of that one. <laughs> Take your shots, man. I'm not going to defend anybody. No, so no, you just. I'm just saying you only do the Old Testament. You just do the first half of the Bible. We do the whole thing. Yes, you are much better than we are. There's no doubt about that. Not, but we do the well. Let's think about it for a second. You do three sections and you leave some out, you said, right? You leave some out and that takes three years. We just keep doing the first section the same amount every year, just the same thing every year. How have you not mastered it yet? You you just keep repeating? I mean, it's like... Yeah. Oh, I have another thing that I need to tell you. This like is just... Starting just, the TV series over again. You're like, yes. Well, we certainly... Not having memorized any of the lines. Correct. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's be surprising if there was no mastery. I think that those who preach are definitely at a certain level of mastery, but something interesting you should know, you know, you're talking about how everybody uh, jumps into the Levitical section of everything and gets all excited, right? When you're doing it with the confirmation class, that's actually in traditional uh, study places, places of study. They start with the first Torah piece that, that children learn is Leviticus at age like elementary school. Well, but there are, I mean, there's a good portion of Leviticus that isn't inappropriate, right? Of course. But then of course. There's, like, there's whole chapters in a row where you're just like, oh boy. Now well, that's animals? what I'm saying. Are you kidding? I'm saying that's, that's my point. My point enough. is we, so the, so the logic behind it is that children start um, sort of pure. That's the idea. And this is the, this is the Torah section about purity. So that's yeah, why they have up, mess them up dirty quick. <laughs> dirty Might quick, as well maybe. tell them how gross life is and how hard it is. Uh, to get good times. Good yep. times. Should we segue? Are we ready to segue? Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, subconscious. So I, um, oh, yes. Sorry. One of the things that the other thing that with the subconscious works on is uh, essentially a, uh, what do they call it? It's like a, a dual nature inclusion, right? Like we often consider ourselves uh, with an old self and a new self, right? And that we look at our old self with sort of pity or disdain, regret and remorse. And like, oh gosh, like I, like we were embarrassed by some of the stuff we did in our younger days. Um, But the work of the subconscious is incorporation and inclusion to um, to really look at that little Ralph, that like 10 year old boy who, hmm. you know, uh, had unkempt hair every morning, wear matching sweatpants, picked his nose, you know, and lied to, lied to mom about scratching a dresser or something. And, and when that story comes out, right, my ego says, Oh, don't tell that story. That's awful. That's, that's us. But the, the, you know, the inclusion of that and being like, Oh, that's like, that's awesome. Like I still remember that and being able to talk about that and saying that's part of who I am, but that doesn't define who I am. I think a lot of people sort of resent that younger child rather than include that and sort of have a sense of, Oh, that's what a child is for. Right. Like, like an adult doesn't need to put all that away and hide it in the closet, but adult needs to understand, Oh, we've evolved. We've grown. That little boy is still a part of me. Uh, Brene Brown has this great portion where she's like that little boy often, or that for her, it's, she says that little girl often tries to drive and I'm afraid of uh, writing my next book or getting on stage to speak. And she's like, but the adult has learned there's nothing to be afraid of when you get on stage to speak. And so that little boy can, that little girl that I used to be, who was unbelievably afraid she could ride in the car, 
but she's not going to, she's not going to drive. She's not going to, um, she's not going to change the radio. Um, we'll have some fun. We'll sing some songs. She can say she's afraid, but I get to drive, you know? And I think that it's a beautiful thing trying to, trying to like learn from our old self without kicking it out. That's great. That's great. Um, I, I definitely feel that, I mean, probably you, you'll tell me if you feel this way as well, but like, I love my stories of when I was younger and I love the family stories. And like one of my, one of my favorite stories, just, you know, thinking of like my younger self and who I was and if I should be embarrassed about it. Um, one of the stories I love to tell is that my uh, cousin who, I don't know, she was probably six and like my, my older sister was five and I was probably like somewhere in the three, four five, you know, range, something like that. And, um, my older cousin told my sister and I, if you dig deep enough in the ground, there are popsicles. <laughs> and my sister and I bought it like hook, line and sinker. And we're digging with our bare hands to get the popsicles, right? We're digging and digging. And like, and then my father comes up and goes, what, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're digging for popsicles. Do you mind? Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> of course. And he's like, um, yeah, there's no popsicles in the ground. And my sister immediately, the older sister goes, oh, she was lying. And I'm like, just wait till he's not looking again. I'm going to start digging. And like, sure, sure enough, he like turns the other and I start clawing at the ground again. And there's a picture of me like covered in dirt from head to toe, no shirt on, like dirt in my nails. And, and I am like, I want popsicles. And my dad's like, there are no pops, but like that for me, who I was then, I, I love it. I love that stuff. Like that's, you know, I wouldn't want that to go anywhere. Yeah. 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 But I think, I mean, it's a, I think we both gave like nice trite examples, but the harder part is the ones when you're like, you, you truly did something that uh, your conscious conscience digs at. Like uh, mm. I remember like breaking up with a girl on a complete lie, like a fabricated story. And, uh, you know, still to this day, I regret it, but I don't, I, I try not to think about it. Like, Oh, like, I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be someone who like, uh, you know, had ill intentions for, you know, it wasn't, it was on bad terms. It was just me trying to avoid, you know, honesty and, um, transparency. It was, it was all awful. Right. Right. I still feel guilty and awful about it. I'm not going to give her a call. I don't even know her anyway. But um, but I think what I'm saying is those are the even harder stuff, right? The, the little kid stuff is hard, but the younger self that, you know, has done some really remorseful stuff. It's like, okay, how do I, how do I navigate those things? And that's, that's a huge uh, process within the 12 step and addiction recovery programs is like, um, addressing those, you know, head on, may, they may have to make a list of people they've wronged in ways they've harmed other folks, and then go to each person and sort of come to terms with, you know, tell them, I'm an addict, I've done this wrong, I apologize, I'm going to change. And man, that's brutal. But it, they, a lot of folks, when you see them on the other side of addiction recovery, um, in recovery, they are more whole and complete than people who are often like trying to cover up things they've done in their past that they don't even remember or recognize. You know what I mean? Sure. What do you sure. got? I mean, so go ahead and divulge. You, <laughs> you were going to say something. You were going to say gotta, something. <laughs> you got to confess something too. So um, it's not, it's not a, uh, a breaking up with a girl, but I, I definitely look back on no, something college, worse, something much worse, of course. 
I look back on you college. Pooped, you ever pooped in the back of a toilet? You ever done that? I did that. That's in the bad. Oh, in the top part? The top part. Yep. Oh, you know what's nice about our new house? There's no top part. You can't like open it up. There's no back like areas. So good. You're, you're welcome to come over anytime because oh, we man. don't have any back areas for you to, it's to lay there. They, whoever you do it to, you can't, they can't clean it. They got to get in. I mean, you, it's not like you, you can't flush it out. And every time you flush the toilet, more poop gets into the toilet. So just keep flushing. <laughs> And they're like, where is this coming from? Why is it, why is it not getting rid of? And 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 it's, it's like infinite because it just keeps polluting the water. They have to get in there, drain the water out. Right. Their hand, they have to like hand scrub the top. So, okay. So I'm, I've got to launch into a story now, but it isn't really about something that I did. I wish I it's could say that, that I did it. Worse than, worse than pooping in the top. No, it's, it's just a classic. Like, so my freshman year, um, I went to a party with my roommate and I drove his car. Cause I was always the designated driver. Like I wasn't a drinker. That's just not what I did. And so I was always a designated driver. And what happened was, was we were, we parked in a field. It started to rain while we were in the party. And then when we came out, we were stuck in the mud. So all of the drunk people and I'm driving, tried to push the car out and I jammed the gas as hard as I could. Yeah all covered from head to toe in mud oh, right? awesome. and they loved it they were like this is the greatest thing i was like thank god you're drunk and we get back to to the to the dorm i don't know anything that happens for the rest of the night the next morning the ra calls like a whole hall meeting and he says all right we got to talk now my ra lived in room 007 and he was 007 he was one of the coolest people i've ever met he never raised his temper he never yelled he never got upset yeah. um <laughs> He goes, okay, so uh, last night, somebody took a crap on the wall in the bathroom. Now, I think my theory is it was the mud, right? Like somebody like was against the wall with the mud, but he goes, somebody smeared like poop all over the wall. Um, that's just not acceptable. Uh, here to talk to you more about poop on the wall is the graduate assistant, Rod, or whatever his name was. And what? Rod, yeah, and Rod steps forward and goes, there will be no crapping on your walls and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs and like and i'm like oh god he's like and if you guys ever do that again you're gonna have to clean it up and like it's dead silent in the hall my roommate a hypochondriac raises his hand and goes and i'm like why is your hand up put your hand down and he's like <laughs> it's like raising his hand and rod goes is there a question? And he goes, he goes, let me get this straight. Somebody else poops on the wall and I I've got to clean it up. And he goes, you're damn right, you're going to have to clean it up. And he starts screaming all over again. And I said to him at the end, I said to my roommate, like, what, what, what possessed you to ask that question? He was like, if I had to clean somebody else's poop off the wall, I would drop out of college. That would be it for me. Like it was over. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, the ever to each their own. Anyway, that is not, you know, my story of what I've done wrong in my life. Um, I, think, I think you're trying to avoid this. You're really no, 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 not at all, not at all. I'm with you. I'm with you. Find that, let's go deep. It's it's a safe space, Jamie. I will. I will say this: our that listeners are all supportive and forgiving. Thank you, Mom. We love you. We love you. <laughs> so, love you. Thank you. It's good to have all the support and the love. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, people like me. So, um, but I feel like when I look back on my younger self, I'm always, I'm not, in, I'm not necessarily embarrassed, but I'm a little disappointed in myself. Like I, I had a great college experience, but I really felt like my goal in college was to be every single person's friend. 
And the problem with being every single person's friend is that you never take a stance for anything. You don't have any of your own opinions. You never want to offend anyone. Uh And it's like a sad, it's just like, I look back on it and I go, God, what a sad way to live. Like I had no, I don't know, in Hebrew, in in Yiddish, we say you have no kishkas, like you have nothing, you have no real sense of self. You have no, like, you know what I mean? You're just not a person in a sense. And it was like this weird values and I compromised everything. I feel like just to be uh, liked. And I think what it was, was it was actually like a rubber band effect from high school. I, I felt completely disliked in high school. And I felt like when I got to college, I got to be whoever I wanted and I was going to be, you know, um, there was going to be no tension like that whatsoever. And I feel like for a long time, that was, that was my sort of MO was like, I'm not going to stand up for anything. I'm not going to stand up for myself. I'm not going to stand up for what I believe in. And it took me a long time to get you know, past that point. And so when I look back on it, I feel kind of like, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, I mean, you didn't have a bad experience, but you, you really didn't, you didn't do that much growth. That's for sure. So what do you say to that person? Or how do you, how do you like, like you're, you're interacting with them right now, uh, college, Jamie, how do you feel about that guy? What do you think of him? How do you, what do you say to him? I would say to him, you know, uh, you'd probably be better off um, having a couple friends, you know what I mean? And, and really being good friends with those people, caring about those people and, you know, being true to yourself and, and standing up for yourself. If somebody says something you don't agree with, somebody treats you in a way that you didn't like, like say it, you know what I mean? Be, be true to yourself. And, and guess what? If you don't, you know, see everybody on the quad, like walking across the quad and, you know, they don't all want to say hello to you. It's okay. If somebody doesn't like you, like, that's okay. So do you um, think, do you think that Jamie would have listened though? And been like, Oh, you're right. And had like some, some softness to that. Or <laughs> You know, that, that Jamie would certainly not disagree with me. I don't think it doesn't sound like, you know, he would, he would definitely say, Hey, that sounds great, man. But I don't think he would take what I said to heart. I don't know if he, if he could. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think that's he was the ready. interesting thing is like there's all this wisdom that we apply to our younger self. But at and our younger self, I bet there are people who told you that. I mean, I bet you had mentors and rabbis and parents who were like, you know, you can slow down, or like, you know, you don't have to go to everything everyone invites you to. And you were like, mm. All right, see ya. You know, you walk in. Well, thanks for thanks for no, but you know what's interesting? Thanks I know advice, I know <laughs> I know the uh the moment where I started to really think about that. Um, was when I was first studying in rabbinical school and one of the teachers turned to me and said, um, and she was not nice. And I don't know what her goal was with saying this, but I was a jokester. Like I like to joke around and, and I definitely use that as a deflection tactic and, a, you know, sort of protecting myself. I would like joke around if I wasn't comfortable with what I, you know, my own intellect or whatever it be. And I, and she turned to me and, and I think it was in class. And she said, you know, I have a friend who's just like you and he always jokes around. You, you can't make it through your life always joking around and being a jokester, you know, like it's not. And I was like, and it really, it just, she dug right in, you know what I mean? And I felt like I, I had to sit there when she said that it still took me probably a little while, but I still, I had to sit there and think about what she said and say, wait a minute, you know, like, who am I? Who do I want to be? What's my goal here? And uh, it definitely had an effect. So sometimes people will listen. It's just, I guess you have to say it in a really mean way. Yeah. The other thing I think a lot about in regards to our younger self is the amount of things that we cared about or thought were really important that don't mean shit anymore. Like, yeah. 
I don't even care that I have a high school diploma, to be honest. It, it, you know, there's like things that you like, you're like, you know, you, like you said, you, you were one who really wanted to be liked. And it's you, at this point in your life, you go, there's two point something billion people in the world. If one doesn't like me, how much do I really, yeah, you know, worry about that? And you know, what, what does that matter uh, in the entirety and, and having a family and, and work and chaos in the world you're kind of like all the things I thought were really important are not that important. And I wish I had held them more loosely or at least been less reactive um, to than than I did. I think that's a, you know, that's a big life lesson that I don't know if it ever comes with people other than age. Have you ever met a young person who's, who's really like content in their body and not swayed by things like reputation and um image and those kind of things we care about when we're younger usually have you ever met someone who's beyond that kind of stuff i don't think i i don't think i've ever met anyone who's completely devoid of that i mean it's probably also totally uh, amplified by the the social media world that we live in you know what i mean like you feel like you could easily not just be you know, uh, pantsed, if you will, by, by the, by the bully in school. And I then everybody myself, in your school is, way, I didn't, that did not phase me. I would pants myself, <laughs> you know, did, were you surprised when it happened or did it just, how did it go? No, there was like, no, there it was always like, you know, the bully would like sort of come in looking for somebody to, to mess with. And I would just pants myself. You're like, I got it. I'll take this from, I'll take this from here. Like, don't, don't. And that, that was never one to bug me. I get that one. I get that one from other people. But I was never, I was like, dude, you can't, there's nothing you can do that really. Sure. Watch that. Well, there you go. So you were a little bit above it, but, but at the same time, like my own lunch money sometimes too. Oh, ooh. just to get out. That'll show them. Um, But uh, did you shake yourself upside down to get the lunch money out of your pockets? That's impossible. That's only on the Simpsons. No, like 10 year old boy can hold another 10 year old boy by their ankles. Definitely. You can't do it to yourself. That's for sure. You need you need at least one other person to do that to make that happen. I, I've seen it in a in a Cirque du Soleil act, but only there. Anyway, Ooh, it's never anyway. They don't care at all how people look at them in the Cirque du Soleil act. But just for the record, but the um, but I feel like in this day and age, when someone has a moment like that where there's this embarrassment uh, or you know somebody trips them, you, you remember the freshman step that we had uh, on the side of the the what's it, by the side of the union no. the freshman step was there was this one there was a set of steps that um i think it was about 15 steps and somewhere in and around 10 one of them was just slightly bigger than all the other steps uh-huh. and inevitably you tripped on it in your freshman year multiple times but then you learned it was there and you no longer did it so they called it the freshman step yeah, interesting and you could sit there and just watch and laugh. But anyway, you, you have these things where I feel like in this day and age, the amplification of one's embarrassing moment can go, you know, worldwide with, you know, the, the, the posting of these sorts of things. Um, and so that's, I mean, how does one even, how does one even overcome their own uh, ability to sort of shrug off those things? How do you shrug off those things when the whole world can see these and laugh at these and turn on you. It's, it's a very, it's a very different reality than what we grew up. And that's, that's first and foremost. Um, yeah. So there's a, a psychology, I have a psychology degree. And, and one of the things that we learn fairly early is that uh, I think it's, his last name's Erickson. I think Eric, Eric, psychologist, Eric Erickson, we'll call him just because it's, that sounds cool. Didn't he write Eric. the, the, the hungry caterpillar. 
Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> so we'll call him Eric Erickson. But. I just think it's funny that if if you have a child and you know their last name is going to be Erickson, I think it's funny that they're like, what are we going to name him? I have no ideas. Okay, just Eric Erickson. We'll take it? the first part of the last name. We can't think of anything. Eric, Ericky Erickson. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric Pants. Anyway, so yep. uh, Erickson has these eight stages of, you know, social um, development. Nice. And in each stage, there is a, uh, a focus on learning, right? So in infancy, it's just trust versus mistrust, right? Who, who is on your side? Who do you not trust? And even things in the world, like what do you, how are you developing like object permanency and knowing like when you, um, you know, put something behind a chair, it still exists, right? So it's this idea of trust versus mistrust. And then it goes on to autonomy versus shame and um, initiative versus guilt. Anyway, the ones that we often look at ourselves and try and like, we feel, you know, guilty are school age, adolescence, and young adulthood. What's interesting is because you and I are both in our forties. Once we get to our seventies, none of what we're talking about now even matters. Right. Because in, uh, in maturity and late maturity in these stages, it's simply about the legacy, right? What are we going to leave behind? So it's not about any of the things that we've learned previously, right? It's not about um, our identity amidst other high school students or, you know, who, what crowd, what crowd are we in with? What crowd are we out of? Right now, middle adulthood's all about, you know, generativity versus stagnation, right? Like you, it's about being productive rather than not getting things done um, or like what impact will you make? In the end of it all, the only thing that will matter is what did we leave behind? And the more, you know, it's, it, it's the, the only stage it seems that is more um, generous than it is selfish. Where everything else is about what am I doing? How do I relate? Where in the end, it's all about what is it I, what is it I left behind? And I think part of it is we regret that we didn't leave behind something positive in the past. You know, we feel like the only impact we had as teenagers was, you know, fart jokes and pranks. Really it's like, well, what, how do we look at that teenage Ralph and say, well, what, what did he do? Well, you know, what legacy Mm -hmm. did he leave behind? Um, There's a great exercise on Facebook that um, some people are doing and it's a weird one because it's very self-serving, but it's somebody will say, tell me a story you remember about me. And, um, I think, you know, after my, one of my close family members died, I can't remember who I did it. I was like, I'm not really into this, but I, I could use a pick me up. And there were hundreds of stories that I had forgotten about that people yeah. wrote about the impact I had or something cool I did or something funny. And I was like, I thought I was a bumbling idiot who had no mm. purpose in the world. And yet there's hundreds of stories in people that I forgot that I had some positive impact on. Right. So the more we take that kid and say, well, that kid did have an impact and we do have a legacy. I think we get beyond our sense of, you know, disdain with about, you know, the younger self. I think there's more to it that we can include. Um, I think, you know, in regards to that, I just, I feel like one of our problems at this point as a society is that we don't think about the legacy piece until much too late, right? That, that people often see their role in life um, not 
not leading to that. And when I think of the legacy piece, I think of the the family that you're building is probably the functional part of the legacy that you leave behind. I mean, of course you had amazing, great stories that, that probably everyone, you, you affect a lot of people in your life, but the lasting impact that I feel like you can make in this world is the family that you build and the family that you give to other people. Um, and, the, and that's sort of going to have the ripple effect for the rest of the world. So that just, it's just sad to me that, that most of us don't even start thinking about that till such a later point. And it's, it would, I think it would have a, a, a drastic effect on the world if we did start thinking about what can we do to give back to, you know, the rest of the world. And, and I'm not talking about doing the Peace Corps or something. I'm talking about like, what can we do to, to build a, a better world through our family much earlier uh, in life. And that's often the struggle with, with parenthood is that we, you know, we want to teach the lesson, but we don't want to give up, you know, control sometimes to the, Hmm. to our children, you know, having the experience of learning, we want them to just learn it, right? Let's take tying your shoes. I will tie their shoes a billion times before I show them one step and then let them fail at it 40 times before we get out the door. Right. But you need them in order to learn that they need to experience how to tie their shoes, how to mess up where it doesn't go, what goes wrong and have that um, self-awareness and feeling of confidence that they succeeded versus, oh, I'm useless. Dad always does it for me. Right. So is your gift teaching your kid or is your gift giving your kid the purpose and confidence from learning? And that's always it's always tough because it's like, I just want to get this shit done. Would you just learn to tie your shoes? Versus, okay, we're going to spend 40 minutes watching you fumble through your shoes. And then we'll heard something really interesting today in regards to that, that, that there was a study, I think that was done. I can't quote the study to save my life, but the study was done and they took um, somewhere like fourth or fifth graders and a certain segment of the fourth or fifth graders, they told them, uh, you're really smart when they did well on a math test that they were taking. And the Sorry, other half sounds like a terrible study because the other half you're like, please don't, please don't. No. So the other half, they told them that they worked really hard. Oh, okay. And then, and when they were then given a level up test, like, you know, if they were in fourth grade, they were given a fifth grade level test, which they had not learned. They had no ability to actually do the math. Yeah. The people who were told that they were smart gave up right away. And the people who were told that they were, they had worked really hard at something kept, kept trying for longer, even though they didn't actually, you know, they might not have succeeded that much more. They didn't give up, which I felt like, wow, what a lesson that was, you know, like that's an eye opener. You know what I mean? That like, you know, even if you're not giving your kids 40 tries before you walk out the door, if you, if you let them know that like, you know, you're, you're really trying hard and that, that really does count for something. It can have a good, it can really help. I know it's so strange. Like I would love for someone, I mean, but, but it would be the worst insult now for someone to come up to me after I preached and be like, boy, you tried really hard. You are that. Listen, we, you got we all the start felt to the finish, didn't you? We are, we all felt your ability to try just now. That's what we all sensed. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you really read that gospel three weeks in advance? Jeez Louise. I mean, maybe you need to start four weeks in advance. Isn't that like the whole lesson of Forrest Gump? Like you just watch him like, you know, being, showing up for things and then trying and somehow he winds up like wildly successful, but ignorant to the, to the impact he had. Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, all I'm thinking about is ping pong right now. That's all I'm thinking about is massive like abilities and ping pong. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I, I will tell you this. There was one moment in my life when I look back on my younger self that I'm really proud of when I was in middle school, 
I was sort of uh, ba- teeter-tottering between two groups of friends. One group of friends was like the quote-unquote cool friends, and they treated me horribly. And one group of friends were the not as cool friends, and they were really my friends. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been, f- I had in the cool group, I had known somebody for a very long time. One of them I had known for a long time. Um, we had like gone to camp together in like elementary school, and and I and so this one summer, the school year ends, and we're at some you know, Renaissance fair, which don't even go there. I don't know why I ever went to a Renaissance fair, but we're there. And the, and my friend turns to me in the cool group and says, so will we see you at the lunch table? We all had our lunch tables. He said, will we see you at the lunch table next year? And I turned to him and I said, no, you won't see me at the lunch table anymore. And he gave me this look. I'll never forget it. He gave me this look like, all right, man, I see you. You know, I, you need to do it. And I, I hear you and I support what you need to do. And it was the greatest. It was like absolutely the smartest thing I ever did for myself. Because like I said, there was that whole balance of who likes me, who doesn't like me. And, and just what I did for myself in that moment was I decided to take care of myself and not worry about social pressures and all those sorts of things. I think I was, I just, I don't even know how I got to that point, but I got there and I did it and it was a big move. And I think um, when I look back there, I say that was very much more mature than I think I was from that point until 40, but you know, that, that was a big moment. Yeah. And that's tough to stand beyond kind of all those social dynamics and pressures. I think the other thing that helps immensely is the idea that it's a very Buddhist uh, ideology that we are all one, that, there is no, you know, there's no distinction between you and I or the air between us. And so, you know, it's like, who, what difference is it if you don't want me to sit at your lunch table? It's like, yeah. you're not having an impact on, on anything. And the more you could be like, okay, it's all, it's all part of, you know, what is in the universe and not, um, doesn't affect me or, you know, who I am, that there's an awareness that there's more of you than just your body. And the less tightly you, you hold on to who likes you, who doesn't like you, if you look good or bad, tall, short, fat, skinny, the less tightly you hold on to how important that is. And the more, you know, you're just experiencing what there is in the world and having, you know, a sense of appreciation for what other people are going through even if they're trying to kick you out of their lunch table, I think there's, you know, we let go of some of that stuff and we realize um, it's all a part of, you know, the, the, the experience of this life where we carry around this meat bag for 80 years. And then there's, you know, we don't know what's next. So why bother getting, you know, letting stuff get in the way. For sure. Well, cool. I, uh, that seems like a good place to end. Yeah, uh, man. Talking about meat bags. Hey, you got to go try upper decking. I go to a McDonald's or something there and just, yeah. just, just, you know, order yourself a huge cheeseburger and then go in the bathroom, upper deck that thing and run out of there. It's, it's, it'll give you a rush. <laughs> Listen, I just, because we're so close, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's probably not going to be a cheeseburger, but it'll well, be a burger. I, said it. I know it will be a cheeseburger. <laughs> you knew it. You were what, like, that's what's going to motivate you to upper deck. That's, I mean, because you've yes. had a cheeseburger. Right. You're going to go, you'll be like, I got to get, oh my gosh, I got to go now. <laughs> upper decking. For those who don't know, upper decking obviously is the bathroom activity that Ralph's pastime that he loves to uh, inflict on other people. So one time I did it one time and it was on, I mean, it was on someone who deserved it. And uh, it's like, it's kind of like when the people pee in the shampoo bottle, right? That's like a similar, although it's not because it keeps happening and happening and happening. You said with the toilet. 
right? Because it, it can't get rid of it so easily. Whereas like peeing in the shampoo bottle, you go like, oh, you never heard about that? You look very you confused. Why did you did that earlier? I mean, that I did. I wish, I wish I could, seriously, really? I wish I could take credit for peeing in somebody's shampoo bottle. I've never done that. It's just a thing. It's known. All right. Well, if you made it this far, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Everybody. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, whatever it is, whatever we're looking for. Have a good one, guys.